t-shirts or on a postcard, and as we just saw Adam Sandler sing about, love oftentimes stinks. Uh, Love is difficult. Relationships uh, are hard. Um, We live in a world where um, this is an ever-present reality for us, right? Sexuality is complicated. Um, Dating is difficult. All of these things are true. And so we should be honest with ourselves and admit that we don't often know how to do well in these areas. We don't often know how to move forward in relationships with confidence and, and to do exactly what we feel like we should be doing. And it's hard, and it's confusing, and it's difficult. And so we need to know, uh, and we need, we need help to see how we ought to make sense of these things. And we need help to see how we can move forward in confidence into our, the, the sex-driven world that we live in, Right? and how to move out in confidence to do that. But not only that, we need help to know what to do with what's going on in here and in here. Because our hearts and minds, quite honestly, if we're we're going to be honest with ourselves, are confused. Um, Many of us have been hurt through relationships, um, both for things we've done and things that have been done to us. And so we need help to make sense uh, of how to live in this world uh, when it comes to relationships and romance and sex and singleness and all of these kind of attendant topics that we're going to be talking about this semester. Many of us wonder why we are the way we are, why we have the longings and the desires that we have. And so we ask these questions. And even why we feel so guilty about things we have done in the past, some of us even a long time ago, and we're still under the weight of those things, and they still carry a huge role in our lives presently. For so many of us, that plays into hopelessness that it could ever actually be better or different. So relationships are hard. Love stinks. It's difficult. The truth is that every one of us has issues and baggage when it comes to relationships and sexuality. And so there's no single one of us that comes to this this issue unscathed, and I am in that camp, right? Um, I'm not up here as the model pastor who's done this all well. I I haven't at all. Um, I have been bruised and broken along the way, and God is continuing to heal me, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, that's the reality of it. So my desire for this whole semester and the tenor of of these talks on Tuesday night is going to be to go very practically into the mess that this is, and to go very practically into how what dating could look like, what marriage could look like, what singleness can look like, what... Uh, what it means to be a real woman and a real man. All of these things which are hard. They're difficult and we often don't know what to do with them. And so rather than me just standing up here from week to week kind of giving you my own good ideas about what I think we should do, um, we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to open the Bible and we're going to let God speak to us. Now that requires me to say that there are certain things that aren't as plain in the Bible. For instance, uh, people in, well, in two... 2,000 years or so before Christ, they didn't date, right? And even in the first century, they didn't date each other kind of like we date. And so uh, we're going to have to take Scripture and take wisdom, and then we're going to have to talk practically about those things um, and gain what we can and then try to work through that. And so uh, I want you to know that there will be things that are more plain in Scripture, and there will be things that are uh, we have to kind of work through a little more. But tonight, uh, what I want us to see... That as we do this, and even the whole semester, as we look at this topic, as we consider all of these things, what I'm going to suggest, and what my hope is, 
is that you find that God cares way more about you, about your relationships, about your sex, your sexuality, and your singleness than you ever thought. And I hope that as you get to know that, then you can move out into the world with more hope than you ever dreamed of. And more, uh, a better view of these things than you ever thought possible. Now, I realize that's a high and lofty goal. And so, um, what we're going to do is we're going to pray and ask God to come and teach us. Because I'm certainly not capable to do that for us by myself. So, uh, if you would, join me in prayer and we'll ask God to help us before we look at His Word. God, there are many different people here tonight. There are many different kinds of people. Many of us are in very different stages in life, in relationships. There are those here who uh, are dating, and things are great. Pray that you would meet them here and teach them. There are those here who come from a past where uh, dating just hasn't worked, and it's been messy, and it's been hard, and there's been heartbreak. And they're even still to this day reeling from things like that. And so I pray that you would meet them. Lord, there are others who um, have given up even the thought that there might be someone. And so they're lonely. I pray that you would meet them. Lord, there are many others. There are even those who may be thinking, why am I here? I pray that you would come and meet them as well. I pray that the words that I say would be glorifying to you, that they would be in line with your truth, that they would be beneficial to us tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you would, the Bibles are in about every other seat. Many of y'all have a, some of y'all have Bibles on iPhones and different things. If you have one on your phone and you don't need the Bible that's in your seat, maybe just pass it back or you can raise your hand if you need one. Um, we're going to turn to Genesis 1, so just a few pages in. If if, whenever someone gets there in the paperback Bible, if you'd let me know, uh, then we'll kind of yell that page number out uh, for the rest of us. One. <laughs> Chapter 1? <laughs> page 1. Very good. Verse 26. So maybe page 2, maybe? Up, oh, still 1. Great. Turn to page 1 of Genesis 1. And we're going to read a whopping two verses. So buckle down. It's about to be short. So, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Thus ends the reading of God's word. We give him glory for it. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was driving to my office for the summer, which was at the Utica Starbucks. And I was on my way there, and uh, I was listening to the radio, a morning talk show, or kind of a, you know, on a pop radio station. And uh, it became very clear very quick that the, uh, the radio host had invited a psychic to come in and kind of be on there, and people could call in and ask questions and stuff. And so it was pretty entertaining. And then uh, this woman named Deborah calls in. Deborah calls in and starts talking to the guy. And uh, the guy says, well, what can I do for you, Deborah?" And she starts to tell this story about her mom who had died just recently. And she started saying how much she loved her mom and, and how much her mom meant to her and the great impression she made on her and all these things. And the guy, the psychic, kind of took a minute and he said, you know, 
I'm guessing that your mom had a favorite dish that she taught you to make, didn't she? And you loved to make that dish. And you could tell Deborah was getting excited because apparently this man had just said something brilliant. And um, she's getting excited thinking about her mom's broccoli beef dish. She loved her mom's broccoli beef, and she made it all the time for her kids. And so she was so excited. And then they kept talking a little bit, and Deborah started asking, say, well, what can you tell me about my dad? What can you tell me about my dad? And the man said, um, well, why don't you tell me what you know of him? <laughs> a little, uh, give me some help here, lady. Um, and so she said, well, as far as I know, I've been told my whole life that he died when I was two. My mom has always told me he died when I was two. And so I really never knew him. I, never had, I don't have shared memories with him or anything. And so he said, oh, your dad is alive. And you could almost hear it over the airwaves, the gasp that Debbie took. She was so shocked. Because for her whole life, she thought that her father had been dead. And now this man on 92.1 is telling her her dad's alive. <laughs> and so then she starts asking all these other questions. And then, a few minutes later, toward the end of their conversation, the man, the psychic, psychic guy, comes out and says, actually, your dad's dead. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I'm in a wreck. I'm pulling into Utica Square, and I'm just, I'm a mess, because I'm listening to Debbie's story, and it's just crazy. I can't imagine what she's feeling at the end of this whole deal, because, you know, her mom's so excited. Her dad, like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And all of a sudden, her dad's dead. and It was crazy. So why do I tell you the story about Debbie and about her parents when we're about to start a whole semester on relationships and sex and singleness and sexuality, all these things? It's for one reason. And it's to tell you that relationships of all sorts matter. They matter. They're important. Because we are relationally oriented. We are relationally oriented. And because we're relationally oriented, we need to look at the nature of relationships. And we're going to do that two ways tonight. The first way is that we're going to talk about that relationships have a purpose. So relationships are purposeful. But secondly, we're going to talk about that relationships have power. Okay, so let's talk about the purpose of relationships. What is that purpose, you might ask? That's a great question. Thanks for asking it. It is to love. Oh, that sounds really sweet, doesn't it? The purpose of relationships is to love. It is the driving force behind relationships, behind all relationships. We're created to love other people and to live our lives in and amongst others in loving relationships. So where do I get this? Well, let's look back down at verse 26 in this passage. You're thinking, what is he about to do with this? Because the word love is nowhere. Well, let's read. It says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Okay, why does this matter? What's going on? Well, if you look back in verse 26, we see some really interesting words here. And there are the plural words there. Okay, look back down. There's a couple plural words in there. The word us, and then the word our is in there twice. So this passage is an account which, re which was revealed to the prophet Moses who is the great prophet of God in the Old Testament. And it's an account that's revealed of God Himself speaking when He's creating the world. And He's creating and speaking things into existence. And God's talking to someone else, isn't He? He's saying, let us create man in our image. It's like, no one else has created you. <laughs> Who's God talking to? Well, 
God's talking to himself. But this is different than the way your crazy uncle talks to himself. Um, how? Well, the biblical conception of God is that he is a trinity. You may have heard that word before. You may not have. That's fine. The, the trinity simply means that God is three persons, yet all three persons are the same God. Okay, You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are separate in their personhood and in the roles that they carry out in the world. They work together, but they have separate roles and functions. But they are of the same essence. They are all share, a seminary professor of mine said, they share in their godness. Just like we share in our humanness, they share in their godness. And so God himself is a trinity. He's relational in and of himself. So God the Father is here speaking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And He's saying something to the effect of, and now I'm, I'm looking at this. This isn't in the, in the Scripture, but I'm going to kind of try to put words to what's going on here. And He's saying, this thing that we have going on here, this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is really good. As they were in perfect, loving relationship with each other. That God was saying, this is really good, because I love you, and you love me, and we love He. And I know that doesn't make sense, but it rhymes. And so, they're all sitting there loving one another in this perfect, perfect relationship. You see, though, love has to have an object. That love is not just some quality, some thing that can exist out in space without an object of which to love. So before anything was ever created, before anything was ever made, there was love because there was God. And God Himself is what? Love. Ah, there we go. God Himself is love. It is part of the very nature of who and what God is. Okay. And so God looks at Himself and says this in verse 26. Let us fill this great world that we've just created with some more of this with some more of this interpersonal love. Let's make man in our image. Yes, let's make man in our image so that they might love one another. So that they might show something of what's going on up here between the three of us. They might show it between one another. Right? Love is foundational to who we are. It is the very purpose of relationships themselves. And because, as it says in verse 27, because we are created in God's image, in His image, we are relational by the very fact that we exist. We are relational by the very fact that we exist. And what this means is that we're created to love and relate to one another on deep emotional, spiritual, and yes, sexual levels. And I would suggest, and we're not going to unpack it tonight, but the whole concept of sex and sexuality is deeply rooted within the Trinity, within God Himself. That God is more pro-sex than you could ever dream of. God is. He loves sex. He created sex. And so we're going to try and make sense of that later uh, in a few weeks from now in, in light of who we are as we relate to one another. So what are the implications of having this love and this relational orientation of the core of who we are? Well, it means this, that we're not meant to live life alone. We're not meant to kind of go it alone and just kind of hunker down and I can just do this by myself. We can't do that. 
We're created and we're meant to have deep, meaningful, loving relationships. A few years ago, there was um, a pastor in Memphis who, uh, he was, it was a young church, kind of a church plant. And so um, there was a man who'd been attending the church and uh, he was in poor health. He actually was living in hospice, which I just found out a few years ago is the thing, the place where you go if you're kind of on your last leg. Um, nothing's really going to work. You're basically going there to die. And a man had uh, been in the hospice but would still come to church as he was able. And one Sunday, uh, he wasn't at church, and so the pastor wanted to go make sure and see if he was okay. And so he visited his hospice facility, uh, really not knowing if he's going to walk in to even find this guy alive. And so he walked down the hall, and he turned into his room, and the guy was alive, and he was sitting there in his bed, and he had, you know, the feeding tubes and the air tubes coming out of him and IVs and sensors all over his body. And he sat down and said, man, it's great to see you. Uh, We missed you yesterday at church. And the guy looked up and said, I wanted to be there. And the pastor said, well, I mean, as he's looking at all, these, all this equipment hooked up to him, he's thinking, well, I mean, if anyone has an excuse, uh, has a reason not to come to church, certainly it's you. I mean, you know, it's okay. It really is okay. And he said, no, pastor, you don't understand. I wanted to be there. I called a cab yesterday morning. I pulled out all my feeding tubes. I took out my trach tubes. I took it all out. I pulled out the IVs. I took off the sensors. And I was going down the hallway. The cab was there. And I was almost to the front door when I passed out. I wanted to be at church. And the pastor said, man, I don't get it. And he said, you see, my whole life, people have treated me like crap. Until I came to your church. Until I came and you and your, and your people loved me. They showed me something and they gave me something that I had never had before. Question for us. Have you ever thought of the relationships that you have and that you make, whether between guy and girl or girl and girl or guy and whatever, and your parents... Have you ever thought of those relationships as being the most fundamental part of your being? That they are essential to who you are? And I'll go one step further. Have you ever considered that your relationship with God being made in His image, that your relationship to God is at the very heart of who you are? even more central than your relationships you have with one another, your relationship with God is there. When God created mankind, He didn't just kind of wind us up and set us out there in the world to live. There was a relationship there between Creator and creation. And it was a dependent relationship. We were created to stay in that relationship, to be dependent on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all that they had to give. And all that's been severely messed up. It was, it was all messed up through the fall and through sin, and we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. But there was, even in the midst of that, there was and there remains a deep relationship that is at the core of who you are as someone who is created in the image of a relational God. So, to all of us in this room who have been hurt, 
and who find relationships of all kinds with all kinds of people to be lacking in their ability to satisfy you at a deep, deep level. Let me ask you this. What if that pain, what if that sadness, what if that, that longing for something more and better isn't God's punishment to you for the bad things you've done? Isn't some sense of karma at work in the world that you're just getting what you sowed? But what if, rather, it is God Himself coming to you through His Holy Spirit saying, look, the things that you're trying to find in all these other places and in all these other people can only be found in Me. What if that is true? Look, relationships with people and with, with each other are wonderful. They're extremely wonderful. And I've just said that they're part of our very makeup. The very fabric of who we are is that we relate well to one another. We're meant for that. We're created for that. But people will fail you. People will hurt you. People will lie to you. They will break promises. They, some of them intentionally, some of them unintentional. But people are not perfect. Because people are sinful. And because of this, we're often discouraged and disappointed in the actual relationships we have with each other here on earth. They leave us wanting more. We're left wanting the security and comfort of one who won't fail you or let you down. Who won't lie and change his mind or go backstab. Or one who won't break promises. We're left wanting someone who will be all of those things. And you want this because you were created for it. It is at the very center of who you are is to be able to trust and to be able to know that you're being loved fully, perfectly, wholeheartedly. And until you have that, until you have that, you will continue to either look for it in other people that which can only be found in God, or you will avoid all deep relationships with other people, trying to avoid the hurt and the disappointment that will inevitably come. So you'll try just to go out and be with as many people as you can, whether that's sexually or just make as many friends possible, or you will completely avoid and retreat into a dark, secret place so that you never have to be vulnerable, you never have to be known. And what I want to tell you is that you rightly long to be loved and accepted so much that you will do almost anything to satisfy that longing. You will do almost anything to do that. And so you will go from guy to guy or girl to girl. You'll have these random hookups and these random one-night things with people where you may not even remember because you choose not to. You don't want to. You don't want to go there. You'll explore same-sex attraction because this longing there is so deep to be loved and connected with other people. And you'll go, and this is perhaps, it's far more subtle, but perhaps more destructive, is that you'll retreat. You'll stay out of relationships entirely until you're sure you found that one person who you know will be everything you've ever dreamed of. And so you'll stay distant from relationships. And I want to look at all of you tonight 
for wherever you are along that spectrum. And I want to look at you and say that your longings are right. That what you want at a deep level is exactly what you were created to want at a deep level. Because when you're saying that, when you're trying to connect to that longing and fill it, what you're saying is, I want someone who will love me and accept me for who I am. I don't want to have to impress them. I don't want to have to be fake and be someone I'm not. I want to be me and I want to be loved. And when you come to that place, when you can admit that, I want to suggest that you are at a place where you're asking what only God can give you. When you want someone to love you fully and perfectly without hurting you, you're asking for, only what, for what only God can give you. And as, uh, how else do you explain what happens um, in the relationships you have when you're left wanting, when you're left empty after the one-night things, after the hookups, after the sex, after all this? How else can you explain it? I'm not just going to come up here and say, oh, chide you for doing it, it's so bad. I want you to go deeper than that. I want you to wrestle with that restlessness. Only God can love you as deeply and as completely as you need to be loved. All your relational longings find, your, find their endings and their purpose in Him and in His love. It makes sense then that if relationships are at the core of who we are, that relationships have power that relationships have power over us. Let's look back at verse 27 real quick, and this point is much shorter. We read that, uh, and it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In this verse, we read that man and woman were both created in the image of God. What was an idea in verse 26, where he's talking to himself, becomes reality in verse 27. The abstract goes to the concrete. God creates man in his image. And so mankind then is entering a world, the good world that God has created. That relational bond that had existed between the Trinity is now at work in humanity. And because of that, relationships have power. Because the bond of love is strong. And you were made for it. And I want to suggest that the woman who called the radio show, the man who tried to go to, the, tried to, go to church even when he probably shouldn't have gone to church, your roommate who comes home at 4 a.m. after having just spent nine hours talking to a guy she just, literally just met that afternoon. Um, your deep loneliness as you sit and wonder if you will ever find someone who will like you and want you. Or the deep despair you feel after you've been broken up with. All of those things are because relationships have power. They have power over our lives because of the very nature of what they are. They're meant to have power. They're meant to carry weight. And the relationship that just once existed between God and us is now between us and us. Because relationships have power in our lives, they can be really scary, can't they? They can be really scary, really hard, really difficult. We were created for something that we're now afraid and scared to do, right? We're created to do this relationship thing, and now we're completely afraid of it because it's hard. We were created to be known, and now we're terrified of being known. C.S. Lewis says this, and it's a great quote. 
He says to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, <clears throat> love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. And he says, if you want to make sure of keeping it completely intact, listen up, for those of you who just want to kind of keep it intact, he says, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it up carefully, around with lots of little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. There's going to be a great temptation for those of you who are new to college or those of you who have been here a little while. There's a great temptation in college to actually do this, to become so busy in your life, to do so many things, even so many good Christian things, that in essence what you're saying is, I want to keep people far from me. Because when you have time with people, you inevitably start to share more. The vulnerability happens. And Lewis says, when you become vulnerable, or when you hide yourself from other people, you can't become vulnerable. But when you become vulnerable, it gets scary. Because in the deep, quiet places of your heart, what you're thinking is, if I'm truly known, then I can never be truly loved. That there is no one in this world who, if they know those places in your heart that you don't talk to anybody about, if they know those places, they will never love me. And so you retreat and you pull back. In response to this, like I mentioned, you will retreat or pull back or you'll do something else. You'll go and you'll be as physically intimate and close and naked with people as possible. And this is why. Because you have deemed that that kind of closeness is actually far easier than being naked in your soul. That it's easier to become physically naked with someone than it is to become mentally, emotionally, spiritually naked with people. And so we run and we do these other things, afraid of people getting close. But we also do this with God, don't we? How do we do this with God? I'm not getting naked with God. Well... Uh, some of us try, yeah, right. Um, some of us try and ignore God in an effort to isolate Him from us. Um, you really don't want anything to do with God, so you try and ignore Him, and you act as if all of life is without meaning and purpose. And so I'm just going to float through, and I'm going to kind of do whatever I want. I'm just going to live for the day. I'm going to live for the moment. And I want to ask you that when that feeling of sadness and incompleteness comes gnawing at your heart, and the inner angst comes that says, I don't know what I'm doing. That this is ultimately empty. That instead of letting your mind and your heart go to the place where you can ask, is there something more? What some of you do is you rather you just ignore it, and you go try to self-medicate. You find some way to silence that voice and put that pain away. Others of you, though, you don't ignore God. But I would say rather you try and appease God through some sense of false intimacy. Yes, you kind of get naked with God, kind of. That's what I mean. You'll say, Brent, I have a good relationship with God. I read my Bible all the time. I pray all the time. Look at all these good things I'm doing. Look at how good of a Christian I am. And you should know that you can do all of these things in right relationship with God. And you can serve Him with your whole heart. But it is also possible to do all of these things and have no relationship with God at all. You can seem very religious and pious on the outside. And in the inside, what you're saying is, Hey God, hey God, look at me. Look, look at all these things I'm doing. 
Don't you love me now? Did you notice that I'd served twice last week instead of just once? It's really awesome, isn't it, God? What kind of relationship is that? It's really annoying. <laughs> it's what it is. <laughs> if you have a friend who's always coming to you and saying, look at me, look at what I'm doing for you. Don't you love me now? You're just like, no, stop. That's stupid. That's annoying. It's the same way with God. You were made to have a real relationship with God, and that's not a real relationship. That's religion, that's morality, that's legalism, that's something, but it's not a relationship with God. And so thankfully, there's a third way. You don't have to just ignore Him. You don't have to just appease Him through false intimacy. There's a third way, and it's called the gospel. And what the gospel says is that God created you, and He created you to live in relationship with Him. And that relationship status, that need for that relationship hasn't changed. And this is exactly what I've suggested all night tonight. The underlying problem, though, is that we're unfaithful in this relationship. We don't keep up our end of the deal. We're not as good to God as He is to us. So there's a problem. The Bible actually gets pretty graphic when it says this. It says that kind of what we do with God is that we whore ourselves out to all sorts of other lovers. And it's graphic because it has to be. Because we have to get the distance of separation. We're not just doing these petty things in offense to God. There's been a deep divide. There's deep separation. But the gospel, the good news of the Bible says this. That the triune God, the Trinity Himself, loved His creation, His people, too much to just let them be. He loved us too much to just say, well, good luck with that. He said, no. And it's why we can read in John 3.16 that God so loved His world. That makes sense, right? That God so loved His world, His people, that He would send His only Son That His only Son would lose, in a sense, the status of that perfect relationship with God for a time to enter into our mess. To enter into the whoredom of our hearts. And say, no, I'm not going to let you alone. And I'll close with this thought. In the movie Taken, most of you have seen it, it's incredibly tense, right? <laughs> Uh, Liam Nielsen plays the father figure and his daughter's name is Kim. And Kim and her friends go to Paris and as soon as they land, uh, they're basically they're abducted through these people who find out that they're alone. And the balance of the movie, the majority of the movie, is an account of Kim's dad, Brian, going to find his daughter. And there's such vivid scenes as it pictures him going through the sex traffic, ravaged underground streets of Paris, paying great sums of money to, to peek through the curtain to see if his daughter might be behind it. And if you've seen it, you know just how intense it is. Because he's looking for his daughter, the daughter he loves. He wants to find her. Friends, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, said, I'm going to leave the comfort of my home and I'm going to come and find you. I'm going to come and be everything ugly that you've ever been or that you're afraid that you might be. I'm going to become that for you. He comes and gets dirty for us. He comes and gets 
the status of our whoredom that we deserve before God. All so that we might be brought back home to our Father who loves us, who created us. And now, the great Trinity sends the third person, the Holy Spirit, to put those longings in our heart. The longing in there that no relationship can satisfy in this world. But not only does he put the longing there, he goes farther. And he gives us the faith to believe it. That too is his work. And he does all of these things for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because he loves his people. And he wants his people back home. And so we can't go out and try to earn it. We can't go to God and say, hey God, look at me. The only thing we can do is take it. Is just sit there and take it. Receive it. Receive what has already been done for you by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And friends, when you have that love, when you have that love, when you've received and experienced that kind of self-giving love, then you will begin to know something of what it means to love someone else. And until you have that, your relationships will be longing for what they simply can't give you. Do you have that with God himself through what Jesus has done by the power and working of the Holy Spirit? Do you have that? Let's pray. God, more than anything, we need you. And I pray if this has never been a reality for any of us in the room tonight, that you would make it real and that we would fall at your feet, not wallowing in our shame or our guilt, but simply amazed at your love and the depths of your love for your people. Please help us to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.